turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4, a very familiar passage. I find if I'm not careful, I treat familiar passages differently than I should. Um, sometimes we get so used to them, we think we've, we've squeezed everything out of them we possibly can. <laughs> the reality of it is the eternal word of God is alive. You can't get all of it that you can. You're going to spend the rest of eternity squeezing from the word of God and getting truth and, and wonderful things. And um, such is so here. Second Timothy chapter 4. For context, I'm just going to give you a number of verses, but let's start, to, let's start in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, and I would never change the word of God, but you could say the time has come, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We're there, y'all. I don't go out of my way to offend people. I don't go out of my way to be, you know, persnickety about things. But the fact is there are pulpits all over America with Bibles laying on top of them that aren't being used. Now, now we have no time for my opinion. We have no time for my preferences and my traditions. But this world is in desperate need of the unvarnished word of God. In desperate need of it. Verse number five. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I don't know of a better paradigm to be a victorious, productive church member than verse number five. What if every one of us was, was endeavoring to do these four things? What if we were watching in all things, being vigilant, listening for the Holy Spirit's direction? Enduring afflictions, doing the work of an evangelist, telling other people about Jesus, and making full proof of the ministry God's given us. Man, can you imagine the impact that would have on this community? If we would just follow verse number five, I think we just came up with another message, but not today. Now, as we move into verse number six, I I want to paint a picture for you. I've not yet had the privilege of visiting this place, but you can. I have two trips on my bucket list. One is the Holy Land, and the other is the Journeys of Paul. Now, the Journeys of Paul are a little bit problematic right now because part of his journeys go into places that are not that friendly. By the way, they weren't then either. (laughs) But if you go into Rome... They know where the Mamertine prison was. And basically, Paul has has been arrested and then released, and now he's been arrested again, and he knows that this time he's not not coming out. The Mamertine prison is basically a pit. And near the top of that pit, it's enclosed in, there's a, a, a gated door 
that they lower you down into the pit and then shut the door. And any visitors you have, you got to holler up at that, at that gate. In this particular event, he's hollering up to his writer, who we think was Luke, and dictating to him what we now know as 2 Timothy. The last letter he'd ever write, at least that's inspired. So, so imagine this. He's down in this pit, very little light. It's slimy, it's cold, it's damp. It's, it's, it's got rats in it and he's got moldy straw that he can sleep on and he's got what could charitably be called food over here that they drop down to him every once in a while. He's in a bad place. And yet he looks up there and he can see Luke's face. He says, Luke, write this down. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, he's writing this last letter. And he's coming to the end. And he says in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I am so arrested, no pun intended, by that first phrase he says, I am now ready. There's a big difference between I'm ready and I'm now ready. Now ready means there was a time I wasn't. But now I am. I'm ready. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of sitting by many bedsides of saints that were ready to cross over. There's been a few occasions that I've been present when they actually did. It's, it's a holy thing. It really is. And every person that I've, I've been in that situation with, every person laying in that bed, falls into one of two categories. Ready or unready. Now, the people that are surrounding them or almost without exception, unready. They're not, they're not ready to let them go. They're not ready. I don't care how much you prepare for it. When the moment happens, it's, it's tough. We know that. And Paul, Paul tells us, we sorrow. We should sorrow, but not as those that have no hope. It's tough. Now, in this particular context, I'm not talking about saved or unsaved. I'm talking about saved people that they're ready. Here's the thing about that, y'all. That kind of readiness, that kind of peace 
does not come as a momentary decision. It comes because you made good decisions leading up to that moment. I've got to plan and live now to be ready for that moment whenever it comes. Because if, if I wait until that moment, I might be saved and going to heaven, but I won't be able to, as Paul said, I am now ready. I don't want to die soon. But when I do, I want to be ready. And that takes making decisions and following through on them now. This isn't about saved versus unsaved. It's about obedient versus disobedient. It's about excited versus unexcited. It's about faithful versus unfaithful. And now we see Paul face to face with his impending death. And the tone, the mood is not sober for Paul or somber. It is a tone of triumph, of excitement. He's sitting in the filth of that prison, sores on his feet where the rats have nibbled on him while he slept. His gut is probably in all kinds of bad ways because of the food they make him eat. It's probably ridden with fleas and lice and who knows what else. And yet you look into that hole and when the light catches Paul's face, you see a smile. Because he's triumphant. I am now ready (laughs) to be offered. He's reached a point that the world holds nothing for him. Oh, Christian, would to God we got to that point. But we're so in love with this world and its system and its ways and its philosophies that it's going to hurt us to let it go. Paul said, I'm now ready. This morning and for the next three Sunday nights, we're going to look at this passage. And we're going to discuss this overarching subject, and that's the subject of being ready. Being ready. Father, I desperately need your help with this. There is more for me to do to be ready. Salvation aside, when my time comes, if I have the wherewithal to see it coming... I want to be able to be like Paul and say that I'm ready to be offered. But that takes living right now. If I'm to die well, I need to live well. And so do we all. We don't like to think about this, but the reality of it is we are all eventually going into eternity. Being at the rapture of death, we're all going We'd do well to be ready. Would you help me, Lord? Forgive me for all my times that was less than ready. And would you speak to our hearts and may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen.
the subject of being ready. What's got to be ready? We're going to look at three perspectives here this morning. And then beginning tonight, we're going to break down these verses with the three things that he says. He says, I've, I've fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. We're going to look at each of those phrases for the next three Sunday nights. But for right now, we're just, we're, we're, uh, we're wrapping our minds around what do we need to be ready? Well, the first is a ready future. Now, I'd be remiss that this message is not intended to be a salvation message, and I am not trying to preach doubt into anybody's heart. Listen, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you put your faith and trust in him, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, thank the Lord for it, rejoice in it, and keep moving for Christ. I'm not trying to preach doubt into anybody's heart, but the fact is in a Sunday morning service or watching online or whatever, there is a very good possibility that somebody is here, you're not saved, you know it, you know that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, oh, you've dabbled in religion and you've, you've dabbled in, in you know, denomination and things like that and you've thought good works gets it done or that mama was a, was a deacon and daddy was a preacher. Listen, none of that's what gets it done. Your future, if you are to be ready for your future, which is eternity, you got to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The most important facet of this matter is our eternity. And I'm telling you, I know this from personal experience. You cannot grow as a Christian until you've got the assurance of your salvation nailed down. Right. If you're constantly wrestling with that, there's nothing more that God can do to move you forward for him until you get that nailed down. And I want to tell you something. I've been at this long enough to know there's a lot more people out there that struggle with it than you think. It's not a question of whether or not I can lose my salvation. It's a question of whether or not I had it to begin with. And the devil loves to play with us and mess with us and try and make us think, well, you know, if you was really saved, you wouldn't have thought that. If you was really saved, you wouldn't have done that. Hey, look at that guy over there. He's way different from you. You're nothing like him. Listen, it's not about being like somebody else. It's about whether or not I went to Jesus and said, Lord, I don't understand everything there is to know about this, but I know that I'm a sinner and that I desperately don't want to go to hell. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to be my Savior. If there's never been a time in your life that you've done that, I don't care how good a Catholic, I don't care how good an Episcopalian, I don't care how good a Presbyterian, and I don't care how good a Baptist you are. If you've never put your faith and trust in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, you are lost and undone and on your way to hell, and your future is direly bad. You need to be ready. And my eternal future will be secure, not because I'm a good person or that I always say the right thing or do the right thing or whatever. No. If I go to heaven, it's because God kept his word. That Jesus took my sins upon himself, and he went to that cross, and he suffered God's wrath in my place. He died, they buried him, and on the third day he rose again, and the best way I knew how, I asked him to be my Savior. I didn't know everything there was to know about it. I didn't know all the terms. I couldn't tell you what hypostatic union was. I couldn't tell you what transubstantiation was, which, by the way, it ain't nothing. I couldn't tell you you about any of those things. I just knew that I was a sinner and that I didn't want to go to hell, and somebody told me that Jesus would save me if I asked him. Friend, you got to make sure you got a ready future. Number two, got to make sure that you've got... A ready family. Paul says in verse number six, for I am now ready to be offered 
There's another way of putting this, and, and, and this is not wrongly translated, but when he says offered, he's speaking of a specific type of offering. He's speaking of a drink offering. A drink offering, we're introduced to that in, in Numbers 28. After this manner, you shall offer daily throughout the seven days the meat of the sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. It shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. They would pour wine out as a drink offering. You see some individuals in the Old Testament doing this in a less than formal way. David, they brought him he mentioned in passing, oh, to have water from that well there at Bethlehem. And two guys, two of his mighty men broke through the Philistine forces, got a hold of the water, brought it back to him. And what did he do? He said, I can't drink this. And he poured it out before the Lord as a, as a drink offering. As a drink offering. Well, Paul's talking about a drink offering here. And what's very interesting, you understand that, that Greek, like any other language, doesn't translate as smoothly as we'd like to English. And so sometimes you miss something in translation. The tensing of the word here, really what he's, what he's saying is this. He's not just saying, I'm ready to be offered. He says, I'm already being offered. I'm already being poured out. Now, there's two possible, by the way, he mentions this in Philippians 2.17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. There's two thoughts that are going on here. There's a literal thought and then there's a figurative thought. We know from historical record that if you were a Roman citizen, usually, usually you were spared crucifixion as your method of capital punishment. That said, Nero was the emperor at this time, and Nero didn't really follow the rules. And if you were a Christian, Nero had a special hatred for you. But tradition tells us that in almost certainty that that, uh, Paul was beheaded at Rome. Now, I don't mean to be gross, but if Paul's about to be beheaded and he knows that, then in a physical sense, in a literal sense, he is about, about to be poured out. His blood will pour out on that ground as the final offering of his life. And maybe that's in his mind, but, but I tend to think we got something else going on here. C- could I use, oh, it almost seems vulgar to use, not in the strict sense, but can I use a sports analogy to this? You know, Paul loves sports. Paul's a big sports fan. If Paul had been alive today, he'd have, well, he wouldn't have ESPN. They'd gone crazy, but, but he'd watch sports. And I'm fairly confident he'd like the same teams that I do. <laughs> yep. But maybe if you've, let's say football, for instance. By the way, I've been very quiet about UVA. I'm not, I'm not working on you, on you Virginia Tech people either. We're both going to have trouble this year. we both got issues. Okay. Not as bad as Notre Dame, but we both got issues. <laughs> Maybe you've heard this phrase, fellas, you got to leave it all on the field. Don't you come back to this locker room with anything left in your tank. Can I tell you, I think that's what Paul's saying here. When I go, I'll have left it all. I will have poured out everything in me there is to pour out. You say, well, Andy, what's that got to do with having a ready family? Because when my time comes, whenever that is, 
I need to have poured everything into my kids I could have poured. I need to have poured everything into my wife that I could pour. But they're not my only family, y'all. If we're saved, what are we? Brothers and sisters in Christ. And I need to pour everything I can into those that God has placed me in a ministry opportunity with. When they put me in that casket, or the Lord calls us home via the rapture, I better not have left anything in the tank. And Paul, Paul said, I'm not leaving anything in the tank. I'm leaving it all on the field. I have poured everything. Timothy, you know this. I've given you everything I have to give. Everything. Acts chapter 20, he's about to leave the Ephesian elders. He knows that he's not going to see them again this side of heaven. And he says this to them. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare you unto you all the counsel of God. Everything God has told me to say, I've said to you. Everything that God has given me to give, I've given to you. And when my time is done here, nobody can hold anything against me. I am pure. I am free from the blood of all men. There's not one person that will be able to point at me at the great white throne judgment and say, I didn't pour everything out because I did. Not that Paul would be there for that judgment, but those that would be would not be able to say that Paul didn't tell him. Man. And you know what? My family can be ready because I poured myself out for God's glory and their benefit. God forgive us when other things become more important to us and pour it into our family. I moved my study here. I never wanted to do that. I've always liked having my study at home. But I did it. And I'll tell you why. The biggest reason was I found myself constantly telling my kids, now look, dad's studying, dad's working, you got to leave me alone. And that hit me right square between the eyes. When I'm home with them, they have every right to expect that dad is fully present and engaged with them. So the books had to go because I don't have it so much time to pour into them. And I don't have it so much time to pour into you. And you don't have it so much time to pour into others. So let's get done. Let's get, let's get after it, y'all. Let's quit finding reasons not to. Let's quit being lazy. Let's quit being distracted. Let's quit wasting our time on things that don't matter. And let's start being poured out for God's glory. Otherwise, you won't, you won't be ready. We've got to have a ready future. We've got to have a ready family. And this one's going to surprise you because I try not to put a premium on this, but it doesn't hurt to have ready feelings. A ready feeling. 
Look at what he says. For I'm not ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. We don't put a premium on feelings, but as you draw closer to heaven, ready people begin to really feel what's in store. The first time I went to Cambodia, we were there for two weeks, and I missed my family immensely. I don't begrudge anybody that needs to take a break and leave the kids with somebody and that kind of thing. I just, I'm one of these people, I don't need a lot of me time. I like being around my wife, and I like being around my kids. And I miss them when I'm not. And so for two weeks, though, I'm so thankful for that experience, and the Lord really blessed over there. I'm so thankful that I got to go. But for two weeks, I was away from my family, and I'm sorry, Skype just wasn't getting it done. And 10 o'clock, Cambodian time, that last day, we loaded up in the bus and headed to the airport. I have never in my life been more excited to get on a plane than I was that night, and I hate flying. But I could not wait to get on that plane and fly for 14 solid hours in a death tube. But I was excited, and I was ready, and I'll tell you why. Because I was going home. And as we got closer to the time to leave, I got more and more excited. And I got to where I could enjoy things more. I could enjoy the work we were doing because I was that much closer to getting home. And Christian, if you're walking with God as you you should, the closer you get to home, the more you feel it and the more you enjoy what you're doing because it's one day closer. It's one step closer to being with the one you love. Some people call this dying grace. That's at the last minute. Yeah, I suppose that's appropriate. But I'm not even necessarily talking about on the deathbed. As we get closer to the rapture, we grow more heavenly minded, or so we should. But the key word here I want to look at for a couple of minutes. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. I am 100% convinced that as Paul dictated this, he's smiling. He might even be laughing. He might be shedding tears of joy because that word departure is a very, very telling word. This particular use of it's the only time you find it in the New Testament. And when it was used in, because of course it's Greek, when it was used in Greek conversation, it was used for four things. Here's the first one. They would use this word departure, the Greek word, for when you unyoke an ox. You see, that ox was done for the day. His work was over. And now, he could rest. It was used for a prisoner that had been unfettered. You're free. You're not in prison anymore. It was used when it came time to move your campsite and you pulled up your tent ropes 
and you're packing up that tent to go to the house. And the fourth one, it was used when they loosed a ship from its moorings, weighed anchor, and went to sea. Do you understand what heaven is? Friend, that yoke that Jesus put on you, your toil is over. Whatever you're enslaved by here today, friend, you're free. This temporary home, this tent, this tabernacle, that gets folded up. And I move into the permanent one. And I set sail across Jordan. And over the horizon is home. Why is Paul so excited? (laughs) The yoke's off. The chains are off. The tent's about to be folded up. And he can already see home from here. Paul is already breathing that sweet savor of Beulah. We're confident, I say, and really willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I wonder if the songwriter had this in mind. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You may not be near death, friend. I hope I'm not. But that doesn't mean you can't start having that that feeling that ready feeling of what it's going to be like to be free and to be home. Well, Andy, I don't feel it. You know why? We still love this world too much. We're so hopped up and tweaked out on the world's music and the world's entertainment and the world's philosophy and the world's way of doing things, heaven can't find a way in sideways into our thinking. And that needs to change. Well, Andy, how do I get this feeling? How do I have that ready feeling? How do I ready my family? I'll tell you how. And this is what we talk about the next three Sunday nights. First of all, you fight a good fight. You finish your course. You, kept, you keep the faith. And then, when our time comes, we'll be ready. <laughs>